You know, as we open the book of Acts right now, I'm, I, this week I was so reminded of the blessing it is for me to prepare these messages for us from the book of Acts, not having to stand up here to preach about truths that were true then but are not true today. That the same God that did in the early church his acts of the Holy Spirit is the same God doing acts of the Holy Spirit in you and in me. That, I don't take that for granted. It is a blessing yes. that everything we're taking the lid off in this book is stuff that we're, we're seeing happen right in front of our eyes. Hallelujah. It is a validation of what God's goodness is doing in our day. We come to Acts chapter 4, and you need to understand that this is a turning point. If you're following along in our black uh, journal, it's page 24, but in Acts chapter 4, it's a turning point because up until now, everything has been smooth sailing. It's been one blessing after another. But now in chapter 4, it's like they hit a buzzsaw. And from chapter 4, they're thrown in jail. Chapter 5, again, they're thrown in jail, but it's not just two guys. Now there's, there may be uh, uh, 10 or more are all in jail. And, and, and then by chapter 6 and 7, Stephen's going to be killed. And chapter 8 begins with, with this, this madman, Saul, who's running all over the place, killing Christians. But chapter 4 is where it begins. Look at this. Chapter 4. So the religious leaders, it begins verse 2, it says, were greatly annoyed. They were pissed off. Let's just call it like it is. They they were upset. And verse 3, they arrest Peter and John. And um, chapter, or, um, chapter 4, verse 6, now we, we bump into two names that we're familiar with, Annas and Caiaphas. Now these are the two guys that started the ball rolling against Jesus that ended up getting him crucified. The same two guys are now there as part of this group. And now in verse 7 cannot be read with my typical pastor's voice. Verse 7, you got to read with a, with a swagger. You got to read with a, with a bad attitude. Be, just get the picture. When they had set them in the midst, so they take Peter and John, and so they put them like here, in the middle. Everybody's standing, sneering, giving their ugly face. And then with a, with a swagger, they say, here it is, by what power or by what name do you do this? It's as good as I could do, sorry. But th- th- that's, that's what's happening. Now, understand the, the spokesman here is Peter. Now, remember Peter on the night Jesus was betrayed. A little 
bedwetting middle schooler points out her finger and says, are you one of his disciples? Like that's a one on a scale of a one to a hundred in terms of, of being on the spot. This is a, a schoolgirl sticking out her little bony finger, asking an innocent question in the shadows in the middle of nowhere next to a little campfire at the middle of the night. It's past midnight, and, and, and Peter says, no, I'm not one of them. He totally botches it when there was no heat, so to speak, on him. There's no pressure. Now, on a scale of 100, this is like 100. This is the same guys that, that, that spoke out against Jesus and, and led to his crucifixion a, a couple months earlier. And they're, they're in the middle of the room. All eyes are on them. They're all sneering. And they're saying, by what power? By what name? Okay, now, that's all good. Then Peter, verse 8, but the next words change the whole thing. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is not, this is not pre-crucifixion Peter. This is post-Pentecost Peter. Now, as soon as you read those words, you know he's not going to botch this one. Now, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now, this is like, yeah. I mean, this is, this is, oh, this is an incredible moment. We all ought to give a fist pump or something. Listen to what he says. Rulers of the people and elders, he starts off showing some respect, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people in all of Israel that the name, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, you crucified, whom, by the way, God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This, and then he quotes scripture. This is a well-known scripture that, that all of them quoted, and they all knew it was a messianic scripture, but now for the first time it's put in their face. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, that has now become the cornerstone. And then, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I quote this preaching several times every year. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hallelujah! Oh, what an answer. What an answer. That's like a triple flip sticking the, the dismount. I mean, whoa. The, everybody with a decent sense of, of integrity ought to be cheering at the top of their voices for this. What an answer. Oh, he may have botched it with a little schoolgirl before uh, Pentecost, but now... 
He smoked it. Now that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, this guy, you gotta admit, he's a different guy. This is a different guy. Hallelujah. Jesus changed him. And then look at the next, now, now, oh, the next verse. Now when they saw the boldness, they saw the boldness and perceived that they were knuckleheads. They were, oh, I'm sorry. They were uneducated, common Galileans. They didn't go to the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. They went to a little, little uh, uh, junior college fishing school uh, down in the, the Podunk Capernaum. And they recognized, now here it is, that they had been with Jesus. That's what it all comes down to. That they recognized, they couldn't help but recognize that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. See, they could not, they could not rebuff the work of the Holy Spirit. So what comes under, the, where the contest is being fought in, in these chapters is not against the work of the Holy Spirit because there was, that was impossible to stop. It was the witness of the Christians. That's what's on trial here. Because the, the, the next thing that they say here is verse 18, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So the attack was not against the work, it was against the witness of the believers. That's what's on trial here, the witness of the church. The witness, now, 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 what was the one thing Jesus said would happen when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the church, they would be his witnesses. So the one work that Jesus said would typify the Spirit-empowered believers was witness, and the one work that the unbelievers and the devil working through them wants to stop is the witness. That's what's on trial here. Now, to this, Peter aligns himself again beautifully. He doesn't let them have the final word. And what we find here, and what we're going to get to, is a position of, it's the first example of civil disobedience in the, Bible, uh, in the New Testament. Yes. Peter responds with perfection. They've just been warned, don't speak in the, in the name of Jesus. And again, you wouldn't blame him if he said, okay, just let me out of here. I've had enough. Okay, it's not what he says. He could have just been silent. It's not what it says. He responds. And he said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That is a witness it doesn't say we're going to preach up a storm. That's not what the Bible said to do. Yeah. The Holy Spirit does not make us all preachers. It makes us all truth speakers. Yeah. There's a difference. Yeah. 
The, the enemy will tell you, oh, you're not a good preacher. Well, that's not the point. I don't need to be. Oh, you're not a prophet. I, I don't need to be. What I'm promised is I'm going to be a truth speaker, and that, devil, you can't stop. That's the issue. You will be my witness to truth. We cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. Okay, that's not, it's only the beginning. We're going to come back and see more from chapter 4 next week. But to seal this argument and to make a case that is so important for us today, like maybe never before in our lifetime, join me in chapter 5. Verse 17, the religious leaders are filled with jealousy. Verse 19, this is chapter 5 now, they arrest the apostles. So this now, they haven't just arrested Peter and John. Originally, they arrested two. Now they've got a whole band, maybe 11, 12, maybe 15, 20 of them. It doesn't say how many, but it's more than just two. A group of the apostles uh, now get put in prison. Now immediately, the first night, there's an earthquake, and an angel lets them out of prison, and look at what the angel says to them right away. Now go and keep this quiet. Just go home quietly. No, no, no. no. Go and stand in the temple. There is no more public place. And speak to the people all the words of life. So they go out and do it. And then they get put in jail again. Verse 27. And they brought them to the same council. Look at verse 28. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. They can't even say the name Jesus. We strictly charge you not to speak in this name. And now, listen, oh, I love this. But you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And then, verse 29. And here's the punchline of civil disobedience. It's the first example of civil disobedience in the New Testament. You should mark it. Peter and the apostles, they all chimed in and they all agreed to this one statement. We must obey God rather than man. Hallelujah. We must obey God rather than man. Say it with me. We must obey God rather than man. Say it again. We must obey God rather than man. Hallelujah. Now, I want to take some moments. I'm going to help us here, church. I want you to start taking some notes. I'm going to lay out for us, and the issue on the table is what is the biblical perspective of Christ and culture? That's the question. What is the biblical position of Christ and culture? Richard Niebuhr, 50 years ago, wrote what, what I believe is one of the most influential books written in the past uh, 75 years. It's called Christ and Culture. He gives five answers. These are five different approaches to Christ and culture. First of all, number one, Christ against culture. 
Number two, Christ of culture. Number three, Christ above culture. And number f- four, Christ separate from culture. And five, Christ transforming culture. Five perspectives. Now let me quickly review. Number one, Christ against culture. For this view to be true, you would have to retranslate John 3.16 to say, for God so hates the world. That's Christ against culture. He's just against culture. Now this led, that, that worldview, that view of Christ and culture, that Christ is just against culture, led to monasticism, led to the Mennonites, that they separate themselves from culture. Some churches don't sing. There's, there's a, a stream in, in the, the church where, where the, that group never sings a song because Christ, it's, it's against culture. Now, now, we are not in that stream, but let's just leave it. That's, that's Christ against culture. The second view is on the other extreme, and it's Christ of culture. Christ for this view is the Renaissance man. He's the perfect man. He's the embodiment of everything that society longs for. Uh, This is the group today that's crying out for tolerance on everything. Uh, Throw out your values, throw out the truth. Um, It's it's what we sometimes refer to as the liberal uh, theologians of our day. It's the opposite of the Christ against culture. It's the second view. The third view is Christ above culture. Now, this is, uh, when when Jesus came back from the dead and said, all authority has been given to me, basically he's saying, I have authority. I am above. I am king of kings. I am lord of lords. I am above culture. When, When it says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that's the Christ above culture scripture. And there are many others. The fourth is Christ separate from. Now, Niebuhr used the term, which I don't like using, Christ in paradox. Christ in culture in paradox. That's what he uses. But I'm, I'm, I'm giving a better clarity. It's Christ separate from, from culture. This is what Jesus said, uh, what he was hitting on when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's what he was saying when he said, um, if you were of the world, the world would love you, but because you are not of the world and I've called you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's the Christ and the church separate from culture. And the fifth view is Christ transforming culture, which is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth. Now, it's misunderstood that, well, it means Christians make it better. It, they add a little spice to culture. That's not, salt in the first century was not used to add seasoning. Salt was a preservative to keep food from rotting. So when Jesus said you were the salt of the earth, what he's saying is you're to be involved in the facets of society so the culture will rot more slowly because you're there. Salt of the earth. And you're the light of the world. And he taught, um, pray your kingdom come. In whatever sphere 
of society you are in. If you're in education, we have many in education. If you're in technology, we have many in technology. If you're a business owner in, in that area, it, 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 whatever sphere of culture you, you operate in, God has you there as an influence to bring the kingdom transformationally into that area of society. And he wants you there. Now, when, when we explain it this way, it's very clear that the first two options are not biblical. The Christ is against culture is not biblical. We can throw that one out. The Christ of culture is totally uh, outside of Scripture. We need to just throw it out. There's no, don't waste your time. But these three are ours. We need to understand Christ is above culture. And he, he sits as the judge over all culture. All culture will be held accountable by him because he's above culture. We need to understand this. And every area of culture only operates properly as in relationship to him. It's Christ is above culture. Now the second one is the, is the way I'm wired. Um, God wired me to hold to truth, to help you as the church discern truth from error, right from wrong, and to own your identity as a people separated from culture. We do not take our cues from culture. We train our children to stand alone And when Peter here says, you do what you need to do, but we will obey God and not man, he was making a church separated from culture statement. Culture will not push my buttons. And every, every Christian parent needs to know how to raise children so that culture will not push your kids' buttons. And we're here to help you in that. And we are here. One of my greatest joys as pastor is having so many champions in our church, so many young ones, rising leaders in the future of, of culture. We want our young ones to become statesmen, elected officials. Lawyers, attorneys for righteousness. We want them to become some of the best artists, musicians, entertainment influencers. We and our children ought to be raised to champion the kingdom come into every sphere of culture. You'll never get there if you start with either of the first two options. The Christ against culture, you will never send your kids back. You'll keep them from it. And it's, it's a, not a biblical perspective. If, on the other hand, you have a Christ of culture, you're, you're as good as nothing. You'll never influence anything. You'll be, and the, the saying that typifies the second 
uh, that we've removed as an option, but that second one, the Christ of culture, goes by the saying, any old dead fish can float downstream. That's the second option. You just fit in, you're doing nothing but floating downstream. God help us. If we understand that our only option in viewing Christ and culture, church and culture, is Christ above culture, Christ separate from culture, Christ transforming culture. If we understand this, it will eliminate 95% of Christians' Facebook posts. And it will protect your prayer life from a bunch of hot air. That was kind of nasty. I said it in Jesus' name. It's true. Brothers and sisters, we want to win this battle. We want to win the battle for culture. As long as we're here, we're going to fight. In Jesus' name, in love, in grace and truth. And you know the bottom line issue? That this teaching has the power of protecting is your witness and mine. That's what's on the line. <laughs> if you accept the first that Christ is just against culture, you, you don't even bother witnessing. You're just self-righteously stuck in your own home. You, you drive to church, you go home. You drive to work, you go home. You don't interact with anyone because your, your witness is shot. And if you're, if you, by God help you, but if you've submitted to this, it's hard for me to, not, to avoid using disrespectful terms, but this view of Christ of culture. You're, you're going to avoid offending people. You'll compromise everything to avoid using the name Jesus because that might upset people. Yeah. Your witness is already shot. But when you see Christ over culture, you'll be a witness. When you see Christ separate from culture, you'll be a witness. And when you see Christ transforming culture, you'll be a witness. Hallelujah. And how do you know which one to focus on? It depends on your assignment. Not all of you are intended to be transformers of culture, but God is anointing some of you to do that and go with it. Not all of you are anointed to be prophets back to the culture under the Christ separate from culture. But if you are, we need more John the Baptist to speak back into culture. But we are all to own and to live under the Christ over culture. That he holds us as part of the culture accountable and he holds all of us, all culture. All the seven mountains of society. He holds them all accountable because he's over culture. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the word of God to us this morning. It's somewhat sobering, but Father, thank you for loving us enough to speak the truth.
Thank you, Father, for loving us enough to bring clarity, to give revelation to us on, on the role of uh, the, the interplay between Christ and culture and the church and culture. Father, we receive your empowerment to live out our witness in Jesus' name.